it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with my producer Michael Brauner joining you on this terrific Tuesday afternoon. We want to thank everyone for having us locked in of course you can correspond with us on the wnsp app or give us a call at 251-694-1055 and have my partner with me across the glass Bron- michael brauner with us brauner how's everything going this tuesday afternoon oh it's going terrific as always on a tuesday afternoon how are things on that side of the glass man just excited to talk another day of sports and what's going on across the globe and of course you know yesterday a little bit of breaking news as we were literally talking about the Pats Fitzgerald case the head coach the former head coach of the now Northwestern Wildcats it it was a, a situation you saw the writing on the wall but We'll run down and talk a little bit more about that. But today at 3.30, we have Ross Jackson locked on Saints. A little bit of breaking news today coming out of the New Orleans Saints camps. And it'll make a lot of people kind of breathe a sigh of relief, adding Alvin Kamara back to the roster and having that addition to go along with David Carr. We'll check up with Ross Jackson to see what's going on with this case with Alvin Kamara. We're also scheduled to have Chris Gordy on with us. And, of course, David Cutcliffe, the former head coach at Ole Miss and Duke as well, now doing a little bit of work with the SEC. And it's always great to catch up with Coach Cutcliffe. We'll do that at the 5 o'clock hour. And going back, of course, we did have the home run derby last night and that was always fun to watch and tonight we do have the major league baseball all-star game and we'll we'll dab into that a little bit we'll talk about the south alabama successes that kane womack continues to have in his recruiting and of course yesterday we were talking pat fitzgerald and pat fitzgerald had been the coach at northwestern since 2006 and he was a former Northwestern player himself and you know Charleston Heston the great Ben Hur uh as known in Hollywood one of the biggest all-time famous alum of Northwestern and you know Northwestern just used to not be good in football and he kind of resurrected them and the last couple of years they've been flat out pretty bad and kind of that Friday news dump that you and I talked about with him having a two-week suspension being handed down by the president of the university. And then you look, and and we really talked about it on Friday, about that's just not really a meaningful suspension. And 
the allegations of hazing were kind of vague. You didn't really know what was going on. You had been told that there had been an investigative report going on for six months by a law firm, and they found that hazing did indeed take place, but to the extremes that would really allow a president to, to go 180 and actually fire someone right before college football begins, I think that just kind of leaves Northwestern in a tailspin. I know that they had only won a couple of games over the last couple of years, so this was kind of a year to where they needed to do something, and they took no transfer portal players. I mean, Coach Fitzgerald was pretty confident that he could win and turn around with what he had and just continued to beat the system in regards to this case. Now, again, all these are alleged allegations that took place, but some of them being racial and sexual in nature taking place under his watch, I think that's where the heat really got turned up, especially by his own people from the university's newspaper really dug in a little deeper, and that's kind of what, what hurt. Yeah, so... I don't think from Northwestern administration's perspective anything informationally changed. I think it was it was really more so the public reaction to again, like what did we say yesterday? It was the public reaction, justifiably so, because the allegations, if true, are horrible. I mean it it was really bad things going on at Northwestern. Now you kinda have more players coming out and saying yeah, like I, I had an awful experience being a football player at Northwestern. There was a culture of hazing, and again, like, not gonna read the details of it on the radio. Go find out if you if you want to find out. But it's it's gross. It's bad. Uh, so, and if this this was all going on under Pat Fitzgerald's watch, I I don't think Northwestern had another choice here. But the fact that they suspect, like, if he was a coach who had been there, who had not been there for eighteen years, and not been a guy who has had more success than any other coach at Northwestern and played football at Northwestern and kind of been the guy who has been the face of Northwestern football for 17 years, it wouldn't have been a two-week suspension. It probably would have been a firing right off the bat. But, you know, the public reaction was justifiably what is, what, a two-week suspension for this. And then, you know, the president caves to to uh, public pressure and fires him. And now Pat Fitzgerald is, return, is retaining legal counsel. And honestly... Kind of justifiably so, I, because now he's in a situation he was told, all right, you're suspended for two weeks. The information from Northwestern's uh, perspective didn't change, and, and then they turn around and go back and fire him. And again, I don't know what he's claiming is that he had no knowledge of it. So you know, from a legal perspective, he probably has a case where Northwestern owes him money. Uh, it's just, you know, I don't know, it, it's a mess, man. You know, independent investigations some can some, uh, are kind of tricky to deal with. But, I mean, you are talking about Coach Fitzgerald, who was getting ready to be the fifth longest tenured coach in FBS football. And we're talking about a Power 5 program. Now, I will, I will say this as well. You're coming off a 1-11 and an 11 season. 1-11. and 11. And, again, one of the worst records – in school since 1989. So prior to him being an All-American or, or a linebacker there at Northwestern himself, it, it, when the program was absolutely horrible, 
until he was able to go ahead and become the head coach and, and kind of get it back to, to being a program to where you thought that they were contenders. I don't think that this culture happens when, you know, you're, you're winning football, right? Because you have other fish to fry. You have other problems. And I know Georgia has their problems going on right now. And, of course, you know, Alabama has had their fair share of problems also. But as a whole, when you look at winning cultures in football, yes, you are going to have student athletes who do make mistakes and who sometimes embarrass themselves and the university. But to the extreme to where you're talking about years, not just one team that went 1-11 and and are crying over playing time and upset about they didn't get on the field or were promised something. We're talking about now a coach that has been the head coach since 06 and was in to the second year of a 10-year, $57 million contract. That's why when the president handed out the suspension unpaid just of two weeks, you you just everyone really had the question, w- w- that's, that's a pat on the back. And I, I, I said it yesterday. <laughs> I'll continue to say it today as it's breaking news. You never want to see anyone, you know, lose their job. Uh, and retaining counsel is a way to go ahead and save that paycheck, that guaranteed paycheck to where I, with the clauses that are in the contracts for these college football coaches, if a university can cut ties due to something that was detrimental to the university and damning to the university, then, then by all means, they don't owe you any money because you've done it to yourself. But when it's in question and you can't prove that someone knew something, that's where I think this is kind of taking a life of its own because these hazing allegations weren't made just by one or two players. There are multiple players in this independent investigation who came and spoke forward and were willing to speak about it. So I, I know that the president really just felt the public backlash. And there was a lot of supporters of Coach Fitzgerald as well. But sure. it's just hard when you have racial and sexual undertones that are being hurled at you to not be fired. Now, a suspension indefinitely, I could probably see that as a form of punishment as well by Northwestern initially coming in and saying we're going to indefinitely suspend them. And you've seen when that's the case that coaches still work behind the scenes. They're still maybe not in the office every day, but you can see you can get work done as evident during COVID behind the scenes, not going into the office every day and continue to run a program. So I'm just trying to find out, again, you you hate the allegations were made, but retaining counsel by Coach Fitzgerald was something that I think was was smart by him. But as far as the uh, university president was concerned, handing and saying on a Friday news dump a two-week unpaid suspension wasn't going to do anything makes you wonder like what if the program had gone 11 and 1 last year instead of 1 and 11 you think he'd still be the coach today probably i don't think that's a crazy statement to make probably no i i don't think it's a crazy statement to make at all 
I, I really I really don't because again, when you have that winning mentality, the the certain cultures, I think the patience and the tolerance level is totally different. Yeah. Even though he's been a rock of that program for 15 or 16 years and is in his 26th year involved in the program, then you know the fact that he has a lot of supporters and he knows that 1-11 is definitely not the best foot forward. That That's unacceptable to any standards. But being a private university, had he gone 1-11 again, would you say, all right, well, you know what? We owe him over $47, 48000000 million. We'll go ahead and buy his contract out because we haven't won football games in three or four years. Or are you just sitting and waiting for that magical season to come and appear? And is there a double standard from whether it's Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, Northwestern, when it comes to if you're winning, are you allowed to get away with much more than you are if you're losing? Yeah, I mean, not to compare the situations because they're really not remotely comparable, but, you know, you look at what's gone on at Georgia this offseason, and, you know, there's not a single person saying Kirby Smart deserves to be punished or, or have his job lost. Like, no no one is even broaching that topic. Again, not to compare the situation, not that anyone should be, but, you know, the standard is just a whole lot different when you're winning championships versus, you know, a middling private bottom of the bottom of the Big Ten school. It's just uh, two different standards. Well, I know that Northwestern's hands definitely were tied, and they, they had no choice but to go ahead and, again, am I surprised that they didn't say, yeah, it's going to be an indefinite suspension, and we're going to continue to to dig into these new allegations versus – Go ahead and, and say, look, we're, we're going to remove him as our head coach. That that before you start in August, it, it it's a horrible thing to happen in July to a program that was already one and eleven, and that's what makes it so tough. And you mentioned the fact that everything that Georgia has been dealing with, and I know you you, you pretty much have have read it at least once a month since Georgia has won the national championship about moving violations. You have another player here last week who goes ahead and gets in a little trouble for speeding. And I think that that's something that I know, you know, Kirby Smart's definitely going to be asked about. You're going 88 in a 55, and you've had Kirby talk about it. You've had the athletic director talk about it. You've had the president of Georgia talk about it, about what will be tolerated and what certain standards are. And when you come in and you have another freshman receiver to get himself into a little or, or freshman outside linebacker to get himself in a little bit of trouble with speeding, it just is it going in one ear and out the other. And at what point in time do you say, look, enough is enough. The next person who does this, these are going to be the repercussions. And and do you just handle it in-house? Because I know Coach Saban, he may dress, but you don't play. Or he's going to handle it in-house, and you just you, you won't see that person at all dressed out 
and not even in the stadium. So so there won't even be any questions asked, and you have to find out that this player is not participating because of something, a violation of team rules. Yeah, I think every coach handles discipline a little bit differently. Uh, obviously, Saban has kind of been always that internal role. You know, we're keeping things internal. We're keeping things internal. You know, sometimes situations blow up so much so that, you know, you have to answer questions about, you know, think about, like, the Ajay Hall situation with Alabama. It was, like, four different incidents, and eventually Nick Saban really just had to tell the tell the press, like, listen, like, he's had four different chances. He's not a part of our program anymore, and that's, that's just what it is. But, yeah, different coaches handle things different ways. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how Georgia moves forward. Again, Northwestern decided to do what was best for them a little bit. I would say surprisingly that they went ahead and fired him and, and again, not suspended indefinitely to go ahead and wait to see how the facts continue to unfold. But that's that's what happens when you do have a Friday news dump. And it's really a, a drastic 180 turn of what you see on Monday versus what you see have seen on Friday. And we'll come right back here on the final drive, talk a little home run derby. That was exciting action last night. And, of course, South Alabama continues to add to Kane Womack's roster. We'll talk about that and more on the other side of the final drive. Blake Stein, former Spring Hill Badger and Kansas City Royal, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Tuesday afternoon. Want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, you can correspond with us on the app or give us a call at 251-694-1055. And we do have a home run derby champion, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Joins his father as home run derby champion. And and you love to see father-son tandems in any sport, especially when you look at baseball. And, of course, with the All-Star game being held in Seattle, you, you think no further than Ken Griffey Sr. and Ken Griffey Jr. And... Then you look at a father who wins the home run derby in 07, sees his son win it here this year. Almost 47,000 fans wanted to see the long ball. And yeah, there were a lot of people there. I mean, it's if you had to look at when you the slam dunk contest or the home run contest or what used to be a great Pro Bowl. So as far as from all-star events, you know, which one of those events do you think is most watched or I know NHL has who can – They have like a skills competition. Exactly. So if you had to pick a skills competition from any sport between the dunk contest, the home run derby and the NHL skills competition. Right. Yeah, I I think it's probably pretty clearly the home run derby. I, uh, I think the home run derby does generate a lot more excitement than 
the dunk contest. Now, if you were to go back to the yeah. to the Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins even era, like or 10 even years Vince ago. Carter, uh, Vince Carter, I, I think that those slam dunk competitions it's lost a lot of luster, hadn't it? A whole lot, and I don't know, you know, with them changing the format of the home run derby to where. I don't you know, like you, it. You get extra time. Oh, I don't like it. Or you sit and just swing away and see how many that you can hit. Now, from a time standpoint, again, it, it is sped it up a little bit. But you can sit out there and belt 40 home runs in a round and then turn around. You're going to be tired the next time you come up and swing. So anybody, if you can go back-to-back -back 40 home runs – you, that that that's pretty impressive, but yeah. but you didn't think that 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 was going to be the case, and I think you know Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He, he did put on a show, and you wanted to see that long ball, and that's exactly what you see. I mean, winning twenty five to twenty three in the final round, nowhere near the number of home runs that you saw in the first couple of rounds. Yeah, Julio Rodriguez hit forty one to knock out Pete Alonso, who was my pick, but. Yeah, uh, I don't like the format very much at all. Uh, like the bracket, the timing, because it used to be, you know, just the 10 outs. There, there was no timing aspect at, at all. It was just you have 10 outs to hit as many home runs as possible. I, I much prefer that. Now it's like you get the minute, bo you get the 30 second bonus if you hit two home runs over 440 feet or whatever it is. It's, just, it's a bit gimmicky for me. Although the whole bracket, I, I, the bracket aspect is okay. Like the direct matchups is kind of cool, but I, I prefer the ten outs format to the uh, to the time aspect. It was pretty cool seeing Julio Rodriguez just kind of blast forty one home runs. Pete Alonso stepped up there and had no chance to win because Rodriguez hit forty one before he could even before Pete could even step up there. So, uh, but it was cool. It was a good event. Yeah, I think a Rosarena. And Vladdy, it came down. I, th I think it. I think it was actually twenty-four to twenty-three. I think a Rosarena needed four in his last thirty seconds, and he hit three, and like came down to his last like four swings. He just couldn't get one more out. So there was a little bit of drama at the end. Well, that's what you. I mean, you you do like the fact that you do see see drama, right? I mean, you you want to see a competition down. You don't want to see someone go ahead when the number is set. You you don't want to see. All right, I'm down to my eighth out. I need to hit 25 home runs, and I'm sitting here on 17 on eight outs. You you don't you don't want to see that because now that 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 kind of adds to a little bit of the pressure of the situation, and you want to see them perform under pressure. But it is called a home run derby. That's what you want to see. You want to see them absolutely crush it to see how far it will go, and. I, I like the fact that you do see a father-son duo because when you're able to see that generational gap be bridged or for them to keep it all in the family, that that's fun. And, and as far as the Major League All-Star game tonight, I don't know, you know how many All-Star games you do watch and have watched it again. There used to be so much more. It's the only waiting. watchable All Star game, so it, it really, I'll probably they, tune in for a couple innings. I, I think they are competitive. I don't think that you can take it. Lightly. Well, it's a real game, you it, know. It, you, you can't take it like you, you well, know. You're not gonna 
in in basketball you can pull up and shoot the three or you can have a miss slam or not play defense in baseball you got to play play defense you know so that part is is greater but i know back in 08 you had a 15 inning all-star game way too long that that's that's when you start to change rules and i do remember when you have bo jackson going deep in 89 with ronald reagan being there as well these are all-star moments that you definitely love and we'll talk a little bit more about the greatest and most memorable all-star game ross jackson coming up next locked on the saints my name is david palmer and i'm on wnfc 105.5 Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. And, of course, today, Alvin Kamara and his, I guess, victim went ahead and on yesterday it was disclosed that they had a, a public settlement that was in effect because the victim had requested some $10 million. And I know Saints fans are glad that Kamara is striking a plea deal and has struck a plea deal that's getting ready to be signed by a judge and wanted to talk to Ross Jackson about that and how it affects the Saints moving forward. Ross Jackson, of course, host of Locked on the Saints. Ross, good afternoon. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, buddy. Doing great. Doing great. Glad to be here with y'all. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. And again, you look at Alvin Kamara and that news that he goes ahead and strikes a plea deal in this Las Vegas assault case. That means that the NFL has been monitoring the situation as to whether he'll be able to participate here in a couple of weeks as the Saints probably strike it up with July 26th or 27th for camp. But I know that's got to be a huge sigh of relief. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for, for New Orleans and for New Orleans Saints fans, it's good to just have some clarity on this, right? This has been going on since February of 2022, so a couple of Februarys ago after that 2022 uh, offseason Pro Bowl game. And so if nothing else, it's it's great to just sort of be able to see for this team and for this fan base that this whole legal situation is now behind Alvin Kamara. And with the way that it wrapped up, I mean, it's it, it's good for Alvin, too. I mean, he can now put this behind him. He can close the book on sort of the legal proceedings and everything. And, um, you know, he was able to, with the criminal case at least, uh, you know, settle for something that came down to uh, you know, uh, a lesser charge. It's a misdemeanor now instead of a felony charge of uh, conspiracy. Uh, to commit battery resulting in a uh, bodily harm. I mean, that's a he's in a much better situation here with the, the misdemeanor and the uh, plea deal that he's taken. So uh, I think that, you know, clarity all along, and I'm sure a little bit of relief for Alvin Kamara as well. As far as from a depth standpoint for the New Orleans Saints, people were wanting them to go into the draft and really find a type of versatile back that had the similar traits that Kamara had, but the Saints didn't do that, of course, they go ahead and do bring in new quarterback Derek Carr. And I know Coach Carr or Derek Carr is looking to go ahead and and find that continuity with his new running back that's new to him, rather. And I know as far as from a Saints offensive standpoint, it definitely bolsters what they already have. Yeah, and I mean, I would go so far as to say the Saints might have actually found that versatile guy when they drafted Kendra Miller out of TCU in the third round. I mean, you look at guys like Mark Ingram and Latavius Murray, who came into New Orleans 
neither of them had track records as being pass catchers and then were transformed into pass catchers in this New Orleans Saints offense and then their work with Coach JT, Joel Thomas, uh, who's the running backs coach. So I, I wouldn't close the book on that. We also know that, you know, Jamal Williams, who they signed this offseason, yes, he led the NFL in rushing touchdowns last year as a short yardage back in the Detroit Lions system, but just because a system uses you that way doesn't mean that you're limited to only those skill sets. We're talking about a guy that averaged nearly 40 catches a year when he was with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers as the change of pace back for the guy who was between the tackles runner in complement to Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. And so uh, I do think that the Saints have a little bit of versatility, but the good news about all of it is that they might not need it for as much as they thought. I mean, with this no longer being a felony charge, it doesn't necessarily fall under the NFL's code of conduct policy of being a minimum six-game suspension for a first offense. So this could be, I mean, I would still expect discipline, but this could be anywhere between a two- to six-game suspension as opposed to what we were beginning to look at, which could have been a, a six to 10, six to 11 week suspension. So I think they're in a good place from a depth perspective. And at this point, maybe might need to tap a little bit. They might not need to tap into their depth for as long as maybe they expected going into this year. So, um, you know, depending upon when the NFL hands down its discipline, we could see Alvin Kamara miss the first few games of 2023, which opens the door for guys like Jamal Williams and Kendra Miller. But, hey, four games, six games, better than ten games for sure. So Saints should still be in a better place here depth-wise or, or otherwise. Talking to Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints. Yeah, Ross, I wanted to bring up Kendra Miller because it's not like Alvin Kamara as great of a player as he's been. It's not like he was a first-round pick. He was a third-round pick himself. So, yeah, I mean, is, was drafting Kendra Miller in the third round almost a precautionary, like, we don't know what's going to happen with Alvin Kamara, or is it kind of just, uh, you know, teams are drafting running backs at as high a rate as ever in the mid-rounds at this point in 2023? Well, I think it's a couple of different things. I mean, I think that there's probably a little bit of a backup plan for Alvin Kamara just in case he missed a substantial amount of games here in 2023, which again remains to be seen. We should expect that he will still have a some type of a suspension or discipline handed down from uh, the NFL. Otherwise, we'd be you know pretty surprised by that, but certainly not out of the, the realm of possibility. But I also think, look, you mean you've got Alvin Kamara who's going to be 30 years old soon. You've got Jamal Williams who's going to be 30 years old soon. Kendry Miller was one of the youngest players in this year's draft, if not the youngest player in this year's draft draft just 20 years old. So the selection of Kendra Miller wasn't really only about 2023. It's about 2028. It's about 2029. You know, it's just as much about those years on his second contract as it is about his immediate impact. And so I think that there's a couple of different things you can look at. Yes, there is the opportunity to be able to get him involved pretty quickly as a rookie in lieu of, as well as in compliment to Alvin Kamara. Uh, there's also the, you know, in compliment part of it about him being able to kind of be this versatile back that can run between the tackles outside the tackles they feel he's going to be a very good pass catcher even though he only had 29 uh, excuse me 26 receptions uh in, no i'm sorry it was right 20 29 receptions uh during his collegiate career with uh, tcu but then the other piece of it is what about in four years from now what about in three years from now we're talking about a 32 33 year old running back in alvin Kamara and a 33 32 year old running back in jamal williams when we're instead going to be talking about a 23 24 year old kendra miller i think that's really the reason that they really they liked Kendra Miller. They had him ranked highly. Uh, they had him ranked exactly where they took him. And so I really think that's the reason why they go out and get him. And the other stuff is just kind of ancillary. Well, Ross, I'm inclined to ask this. I, I think most people would agree that the NFL over the years has been pretty wildly inconsistent when it comes mm -hmm. to punishment with, uh, you know, all, whether it be a domestic case or, you know, we've seen 
guys get suspended year long for for gambling, which is obviously a completely different thing. Just the the standard of what it what you get suspended for and what you don't get suspended for for a season versus two games versus six games. I mean, does the fact that I understand Kamara legally is in less trouble now it doesn't change the fact of what happened in las vegas i mean i'm sure you saw the pictures of the guy i mean the guy was very badly hurt i'm just i don't know like if you're the nfl like what how do you weigh, do you weigh the fact that yeah sure he's in less legal trouble because he took a good play plea deal but it doesn't change the fact of what happened yeah absolutely i mean yeah i think you're you're in a good place legally now to take that you know to to see that drop from a felony to a misdemeanor doesn't impact his life you know to the severity as a felony would but you know when it comes to the nfl you're right like they're wildly inconsistent you have to remember just last year it was titans linebacker bud dupree who pled guilty to a misdemeanor assault charge and then saw no discipline at all but then in other situations where you see guys you know, um, either be, you know, no contest or plead not guilty or have something thrown out in court or whatever, and then they still face, you know, a multi-game suspension. So uh, I would still expect a multi-game suspension when it comes to Alvin Kamara. I, I do think that maybe the fact that it goes from felony to misdemeanor does lighten it a little bit. It takes it from sort of this minimum six-game suspension to something that maybe hovers around six games. So I would say anywhere between two to eight, two to six games might be where the suspension falls. Or if they follow the same, you know, thing that they did with Bud Dupree last year that maybe nothing but I do think that the video uh, is a big part of it because the NFL will take that into consideration when it comes to their own investigation of it and the fact that it happened during an NFL sanctioned event and he was arrested following an NFL sanctioned event with the Pro Bowl I think those two things are going to factor in as well and maybe make it a little bit different than the Bud Dupree case so this kind of exists in a in a, in a first of its kind kind of basis uh, even though it's very familiar to a lot of different things and the NFL's inability to be consistent when it comes to punishment uh, I think is something that will be tested here and I think will speak loudly once they do uh, make their decision and I think once they make their decision if it does include a suspension we'll see how and Kamara and his team, um, you know, uh, appeal that, and then we'll see if that ends up resulting in a lesser sentencing, or excuse me, not sentencing, but a lesser discipline at that point. So there's even more inconsistency involved in the process itself. We're speaking with Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints, and when you look at the Saints' offense, we know they added Derek Carr, and as far as defensively, for the Saints, do you think more pressure is going to be this year on that offense, or do you think it's going to be more so on that defense winning this division? I think that both are under immense pressure. I think that the defense is a big part of it because you need the defense to remain where it's been since 2017. You need it to be a dominant defense. They took a step back in the run game last year, but they were phenomenal against the passing game last year. They eliminated explosive plays, and they kept points off the board. This is a defense that allowed no more than 20 points in each of the last eight games of last season. Um, you know, Dennis Allen could be, there's a lot of folks that could be looking at this as a last chance for Dennis Allen. And he's a defensive head coach that puts a lot of pressure over on the defense. Meanwhile, Derek Carr is a new quarterback in town, and he's got a lot of weapons. There's a lot of folks that are looking at Derek Carr saying no excuses. You know, you were able to get away from the Las Vegas Raiders, and then now you're with the New Orleans Saints who have a lot of weapons and have a good offense and have good receivers and tight ends and running backs and all these things. Uh, so I think there's going to be pressure on, on Derek Carr, too. And Derek Carr is also playing with a chip on his shoulder. And so I think he welcomes that pressure. I think he's ready for that pressure. And, and in a way, I wouldn't be surprised if he magnifies that pressure in terms of the amount of pressure he's going to put on himself going into the season. So I, I think that both Derek Carr and the offense, as well as Dennis Allen and his defense, are under immense pressure going into 2023. But I don't think that's out of the ordinary going into a season like this. And I don't think that's something that they don't welcome either. 
Ross, you're talking about a tremendous amount of pressure for a first-round draft pick, an overall number one pick with the New Orleans Pelicans in Zion Williamson. And he comes on to Gilbert Arenas' podcast and, and says, man, it's hard, man. I'm 20, 22, have all the money in the world. Well, it feels like all the money in the world. It's hard. I just don't understand. I know that at 22, when you have the world in your hands with all that money, how it's hard to stay in shape, to do something if you truly love it. 6'6", 285, and then when you look at the amount of games that he has played in, you're you're not going to be able to play on that type of frame. And for him to come out, at least he was honest on Gilbert's podcast, but sometimes you can be a little bit too honest if you're not going to do anything to back it up, whether that's from a diet standpoint, from an exercise standpoint. At one, at some point in time, it, it's the Pelicans say, look, let's cut our losses. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose, I don't know. I, I think experience is non-universal. So the way that you and I maybe look at how we would act at 22 years old with millions and millions of dollars is not the way that Zion Williamson or somebody else would look at and say, here's how I act at 22 years old with millions and millions of dollars. Uh, so I, I have no idea. Um, but what I know is that, hey, if he's being honest with it, it means he's ready to confront it, right? So as opposed to being focused on what Zion Williamson was, what Zion Williamson has been, I'm really interested to see what this Zion Williamson, who maybe has a little bit more self-awareness at this point, is able to change moving forward. I'm not really worried about what you did because I can't fix that. I want to know what you're going to do next and how you can prove that you've bettered yourself from that. So if him speaking about it is any indication that maybe he's a little bit more you know, ready to address it, maybe a little bit more ready to uh, say, yeah, I screwed up and I messed up in those you know previous years here's how i want to get better here's how i want to fix it everything like that then it gives you that if nothing else it gives the new orleans pelicans clarity and understanding that okay well zion maybe mentally isn't mature enough to be able to deal with x y and z so how do we help him in that right he shouldn't be at this alone and it shouldn't be completely based upon you know what he's doing wrong or what he's doing right where are the people around him to help him get it right? And so maybe him coming out and being honest about it, talking about it, saying things about it, maybe that was one of the things that connected him and uh, former New Orleans Pelican staffer Teresa Witherspoon because they, they formed a big old bond and, and a really tight bond. And maybe that's on the way between him and uh, another member within the New Orleans Pelicans organization that's going to help him be able to turn that corner. But I think the biggest thing that you can say here is that if you're acknowledging it, then you're ready to face it. So I hope that they're ready to help him do that. Ross, last Saints question I have for you this time around. Is Michael Thomas a guy who you'd be surprised if New Orleans decided to release? Oh, and, and you like really swim now? No, uh, well, you know, now or, during during camp, like, is he could he be a roster bubble camp, like just a cap casualty at the end of the day? He's played 10 games over the last three years. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely not. No, no, you, you wouldn't be able to release him. I mean, you're not saving any money. You've guaranteed him $6.25 million, and then at most you've got a bunch of not likely to be earned, um, you know, uh, incentives that don't even count against this year's cap. They're counting against next year's cap, and he's not even on contract for next year as well, so there's no additional guaranteed money kind of in the, in the way there. So I think that what you're doing with, uh, with Michael Thomas is that you've already adjusted his contract. You've reset his contract where there's a chance where he finishes this 2020 three season counting you know 6.25 million dollars against your salary cap and, and and you'll take that so i think they've already kind of addressed the salary portion of that saved themselves a ton of money this year uh they may have to commit to uh incentives that they have to pay off next year and maybe they can do that in in the midst of an extension because if they're paying him incentives next year then it means that he's got at least 80 catches and at least 800 yards and at least you know seven touchdowns or whatever his uh, kind of incentive uh thresholds are 
and things like that. So that would be a, a, a that would be a huge statement. I mean, that would be he did something terribly wrong that led to that. Uh, but I don't think that there's a reality in which they end up releasing him during camp as a camp casualty. They're ready to build around him. Um, uh, Chris Olave and Rashid Shahid is a big three at wide receiver, and they've already kind of you know moved around the uh, the cap numbers and and all those things when they when they reworked his contract earlier this offseason. So uh, no, I don't think that, I don't think it, it'll need to come to that. I think the better thing for them is to continue to put their confidence in Michael Thomas, and hopefully he's able to give them instead of three instead of ten games in three years, hopefully at least ten games uh, in this year, if not more than that. Certainly, I know he would love to be out there for all seventeen. What has been kind of the reports on him post OTAs? Like, is there optimism that you know he can stay on the field this year and he can contribute? You know, I don't think he's ever going to be that top five wide receiver in the league kind of guy. But you know, at this point, anything they get out of him is is really a bonus. Yeah, absolutely, and, and and I think that you know you 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 know Mickey Loomis has said before like they they still believe he can be a 80, 90, 100 catch guy. Uh, Dennis Allen has done nothing but put his confidence behind Michael Thomas from the moment that he became the head coach. He's been remarkably consistent there. That's why the relationship between Dennis Allen and Michael Thomas is so strong, and the relationship between the organization and Michael Thomas is incredibly strong as well. Despite what some might you know like to try to to say out there, I mean everything that we've seen so far is that. Michael Thomas and New Orleans Saints organization are on the same page. And so, yeah, I think that there's confidence there. Um, we expect that he'll be out there during the first day of training camp, full go, full speed. Uh, and that's certainly what happened with him last year. So I think the bigger question or the biggest question that you're really going to be facing is not necessarily will he be ready to start the season. It's how long can you keep him healthy throughout the season? How long can he be healthy throughout the season? And, and maybe there's a little bit more of an incentive for that in terms of him taking care of his body and making sure that, you know, he's out there uh, in terms of the, the additional um, work that has come from Matt Rea, the director of sports science they hired last year to help with soft tissue injuries. And then, of course, with the long list of incentives that he has, he's incentivized to be out on the field as much as possible because not only does he have production incentives, it's just catches, touchdowns, yards, things like that. He's got playing time um, incentives and end-of-the-year incentives and things like that. So there would be a lot of motivation for him internally as well as contractually for him to be out on the field in 2023. And I think right. that will move the needle. Great info right there. How can people follow all of your wonderful and outstanding Saints coverage? Thanks, guys. No, not a problem at all. I really appreciate you having me on, as always. Uh, you guys can follow along with anything I've got going on with the Locked on Saints podcast every single Monday through Friday. You can find all the written work over at Saints News Network at saints.media is the easiest way to get to that. Or you can find it all on Twitter at Ross Jackson, NOLA, N-O-L-A, for as long as Twitter exists, I guess. <laughs> Ross Jackson, host of Locked on Saints, giving us the Saints 411. We appreciate that very much and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Y'all take care. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Likewise, the final drive will be right back. This is TJ Mosley, inside linebacker, and you listen to the sports station, WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I want to thank Ross Jackson for breaking down what's going on with the latest news on Alvin Kamara. Again, Probably will get some type of suspension by the league, but knowing that he'll be able to participate, that is something totally different than not being able to participate at all or having to wait for a pending court case. So Kamara, he does have that plea deal and 30 day, 30 hours of community service, pay a $500 fine and pay the victim $105,000 in hospital bills. And then, an undisclosed amount. So it looks like things are, are going in the right direction for Mr. Kamara and 
the Saints. And, of course, here in our number two of the final drive, we'll have Chris Gordy on with us. And at 5 o'clock, we'll have David Cutcliffe, the legendary David Cutcliffe of Ole Miss and Duke fame will be joining us here. So look forward to him coming on at 5 o'clock. And, Michael, you know, Ross full of Saints knowledge for sure. And, again, as they start camp here in a couple of weeks, we'll definitely have him on again. Certainly. I love having Ross on. No one no one better to talk little Saints. Definitely want to talk more later about, uh, you know, the NFL's inconsistency in punishments. You know, Calvin Ridley gets a full season. Alvin Kamara is probably going to get two or three games. So, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah, you know, it's the NFL's wild inconsistency in, in uh, punishments continues, so it is what it is. It definitely is inconsistent, to say the least. And coming up, we consistently give you our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC host, joins us next here on the final drive. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to our number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Tuesday afternoon. Hope everyone had a great work day, and thanks for locking us in. Of course, you can correspond with us in the app, or you can give us a call at 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us. And, of course, when you're looking at SEC Media Days that will be in Nashville, Tennessee next week. Excited to have our next guest on. Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC host, joins us. Chris, how's everything going, my friend? It's good. It's good. I, um, you know, I was just, I was a little upset. We, you know, we finally got the list yesterday of the the attendees of who the schools are bringing, and I'm like. We, we literally, like, they couldn't have done this more than a week out, like a week before media days or finally find out who's actually gone from each school. But uh, it's a great list and big-name players and all this. And it was funny. I was on a radio show earlier today, and they said, uh, you know, they, their audience is kind of torn. Like, half cares about media days and half don't really care. But I said, if anything, it just signals, this, you know, that football season is getting close. It's almost like the unofficial start of, you know, kind of fall ball, and then they'll be on the practice field real soon. I know some fans just want to tailgate and go to games or watch the games and, and drink and, and whatever, but, like, it, look, media days is necessary because it's attention for the upcoming season, so I'm excited. It definitely sets the table. It's kind of the precursor to where you can go ahead and have that appetizer before you know that main meal is, is right around the corner, but it definitely wets the whistle, and we look forward to, to doing the final drive from Radio Row in Nashville next week. But the SEC, that slogan 
it just means more when you look at the Major League Baseball draft that was held on Sunday. Number one, number two, all coming from the same school. And then number three comes from the SEC also. But you look at the NFL draft along with the Major League Baseball draft, of course, the WNBA draft. And when you're looking at college-based players, Brandon Miller, number two, it definitely means more for the SEC. It really does, and you know that's what's so amazing about about you know what what the SEC does is it just cranks out you know elite level talent, and we saw that in the NFL draft this year. Um, you know we saw how much the Philadelphia Eagles are obsessed with Georgia Bulldog players. Uh, the Houston Texans love Alabama players, but uh, yeah, to, to have you know the first pick in the NFL draft, first pick of the WMA draft, first pick of the MLB draft. And as somebody pointed out, you know, while they weren't number one in the NBA, they were the top college, uh, you know, eligible player in, in the NBA draft with uh, Victor Wembanyama, obviously coming from France. So I think that's it, it's awesome. It's great bragging rights. And, you know, I ask Greg Sankey every year at SEC Media Days, I always ask him, are you tired of winning? Do you ever get tired of winning? Because just the SEC continues to do it. And we saw LSU, you know, win the, 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 college, the women's college championship and then just, you know, a week ago they win the, the College World Series. And, you know, it's it's kind of funny. You know, all my LSU buddies are saying, oh, Otis is on Brian Kelly now. That Jay, Jay Johnson wins it in year two at LSU. Kim Bulky wins a title in year two. Can Brian Kelly do it at LSU? And I, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't know anybody's going to pick LSU to win the championship this year, but it wouldn't be the craziest thing when you look around the conference and say, well, Alabama doesn't know who their quarterback is yet. Auburn's got a new head coach, and you freeze. Florida's going through a transition. I mean, it it wouldn't be the craziest thing with LSU bringing back almost everybody on offense, including their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, to say maybe they could run the table or go 11-1. and one. You know, barring a, a meeting with Georgia in the SEC championship, LSU might have a chance, so we'll see. Who's the best quarterback of the five that's, uh, that's showing up in Nashville next week? Um... <clears throat> You know, it's it's tough. I've I've heard, you know, I've seen some of those lists that have come out. You know, some people have KJ Jefferson as the best quarterback in the SEC. I, I might lean more towards Jaden Daniels just because Jaden's got more experience. I was running through the numbers today. Uh, Jaden Daniels has started something like 40, 41 games in his collegiate career because he started as a freshman at Arizona State. Uh, KJ Jefferson has started about twenty five. Um, you know, the numbers are very comparable when you look at their passing and rushing yards and all that. So, like, I, it, it, you could say it's a toss-up. Uh, I will say, though, I mean, I thought Gene Daniels had better moments last year than K.J. Jefferson had. And I know K.J. got banged up and missed the game. But um, I think that's a real toss-up. And then the tough one is, what is Will Rogers in senior year, right? I mean, in the Mike Leach air raid offense, he was one of the best passers in the country just in terms of productivity, you know, production. I don't know what Will Rogers is going to look like at Mississippi State this year with Kevin Barbe coming in from Appalachian State and running a little bit more pro-style offense. So I think that one's really interesting. But I was at the Manning Passing Academy two weeks ago, guys. All anybody wanted to talk about was Joe Milton and the big arm at Tennessee. And obviously, look, we know he can, he can throw it a mile. The question is, can he put touch on the ball? And it seemed like in those games he got in there when Hendon Hooker got hurt that – he had improved as a passer, and he was putting more touch on it. And now a full offseason with Josh Heupel coaching him up. Um, you know, Alex Scarborough from ESPN told me at the Manning Pass Academy, he said that kid has the best 
the most upside. Like, if Joe Milton comes out and, and sets the world on fire, he can literally be a first-round pick in next year's draft. That's, that's the potential of Joe Milton. So, like, if we're just going on, like, skins on the wall and, you know, what, what's happened so far, I may say Jaden Daniels is the best, you know, in position to be the best quarterback. Uh, with K.J. Jefferson and Will Rogers not far behind him. But to me, Joe Milton, you know, like I said, has got the most potential and the most upside. And honestly, he needs to, like Josh Heupel, this is a big onus on him. Like, was Hendon Hooker just a flash in the pan? Or is your system one that's set up that you can plug any quarterback in there and he will crush it and be successful? That's what's going to be really fascinating to watch about Joe Milton this year. Well, i tell you what's also going to be fascinating is the questions that are asked to Georgia's head coach, Kirby Smart, the king of college football right now, as far as today, he, he issues a statement that, you know, his team does have a problem with the speeding issues, and he's constantly looking and searching for ways to address it. And most college coaches, of course, Kirby has learned the blueprint from Nick Saban. He's going to say that he's handling it internally, but – how many different ways or how many different questions do you think he's going to be asked about what is not sinking in? Why does the football message sink in and the discipline that they exhibit on the football field go ahead and not translate to real life and death situations? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question because, you know, when, when I think of Kirby Smart and what he should be doing next week at SEC Media Days, it should be – an opportunity for him to get up there in front of the microphone, sit in a big lazy boy, kick his feet up, light up a cigar, and go, what questions you got? We're going for a three-peat. Like, if we're just talking football, I mean, that, that guy is the king of college football right now and uh, can do no wrong. But all, off the field, yeah, they've got some issues. And I don't know why they, you know, they keep having incidences with these guys getting pulled over. And I don't know, you know, again, we look at what just happened at Northwestern where the onus, the, the buck stops here. I mean, the onus falls on you as the head coach for anything negatively that your players are doing on or off the field. So, yeah, I, I, I'm shocked that Kirby coming from that Saban tree, being that disciplinarian guy, that they can't get a hold of this thing. And, and, and you know, unfortunately, what, you know, one of these instances ended in loss of life um, you know, after the championship parade and all that. So, um like they they, they got to have a big come to Jesus meeting when it comes to policing the players and what they're doing off the off the field. But he's going to have to answer some tough questions there next week in front in, at the podium. And yeah, it should what it should be is just a big time of celebration uh, of patting himself on the back and saying what a great job I've done back to back national champions. But you're right, there's some uh, there's some tough questions coming his way next week. Yeah, I made a point earlier, and we're talking to Chris Gordy, locked on SEC. I made a point earlier. Uh, it's not to compare the two situations remotely at Northwestern and Georgia, but it's like you know Pat Fitzgerald was one and eleven last year and four and twenty over the last two years, while you know he loses his job. While you know things happened at Georgia this offseason, no one remotely broached the discussion of you know should Kirby Smart be under some sort of fire here? Like no, of course no one was gonna say Kirby Smart should be fired, but it's a lot easier to say that when you've won back-to-back national championships. Oh yeah, it's it's the case. Winning winning solves everything, guys. I mean, we we know that when it comes to to all sports, including college sports. I mean, you know, I think back to Ed Ogeron when when uh, you know when he was the coach at LSU in 2019, and they're winning every game, and Joe Burrow's setting records, and 
you know, Coach O says something, uh, you know, borderline offensive. Everybody just goes, ah, isn't he great? He's our guy. And then suddenly, two years later, you know, they lose to UCLA in the opener, and he yells at a fan about wearing a sissy blue shirt. Suddenly, everybody's criticizing. Oh, can you believe he said that? What a terrible thing for Coach O to say. So it's just so funny. Yeah, when you're winning, uh, nobody cares. Everybody looks past your blemishes and whatever kind of controversial th- thing you have going. But when you're losing and you've got some negative things going on, yeah, it's magnified a little bit more. I, I thought the Northwestern, you know, the, just reading through the details and all, I thought at least from the findings and stuff that the administration should have tried to drop the hammer and say, you know what, based on our findings, um, everything comes back to, to Patrick Stroh as the head coach. We're going to suspend him for the season. I think if they, have done, if they had done that a week ago, I think it would have saved his job. I think it would have sent shockwaves of, wow, that's a, that's a big punishment. And I think he would have saved his job, and he would have been back in 2024. Instead, they go, yeah, we're going to give him a two-week suspension in July. Everybody's like, wait a minute, what? Like, that's not even a slap on the wrist. And so that's when more details come out and it, makes, and it becomes national news. They had no, no, uh, you know, nowhere to go but to fire him. So, yeah, and I just found that was kind of interesting. I think more of these administrations need to be a little bit more proactive when the coach does something wrong or, or something happens wrong in the program. They need to uh, step forward. But, again, Kirby kind of gets uh, – he gets a pass because all he's doing is winning national championships. Well, Chris, what I thought that they probably would have done is go ahead and suspend him indefinitely. And that way you don't have to put a timetable on it. And as I was telling our listeners earlier, during the COVID and the pandemic, you can work from home anyway. It's proven that you can sit, you don't have to go into the office to get work done. So he could have been doing work behind the scenes and nobody even seen him there on the practice field or in the office. But putting the indefinite suspension on him until you can work things out, I think that the president probably kind of helped push him out the door inadvertently in this situation because of a two week, you're in a two, the second year of a $54 million contract. So two weeks without pay. uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's like dropping a dollar bill into a vending machine. Yeah. I I hope if anything, this just kind of opens the eyes up of some programs that may be doing stuff that's not on the up and up to make them go, Hey, I know we do this thing because it's tradition, but Maybe in the year of our Lord, 2023, we should take a pause and say, hey, maybe this is a tradition we should stop here and maybe not continue on. I mean, there's just some weird things. When you read the details of what they were doing, like nobody in that program pumps the brakes and goes, hey, guys, this is weird. Why are we doing this? Like, I I just, you know, it's just one of those things that, um, I don't know, the more and more that comes out, you wonder, like, how in the world is that still happening in 2023? But hopefully this has a little bit of a chain reaction. And if anything similar to this is going on anywhere else in the country, that it puts a stop to it quickly. Well, Chris, I I will ask you this. I I know we'll go back to the success that LSU has had in this calendar year. You look at Shaquille O'Neal, Jamarcus Russell or Joe Burrow. You look at Simone Augustus, and then you look at Skeens being drafted overall number one. I I can't think of another SEC program, current SEC program, that has number one draft picks from pretty much all four major sports. Yeah, it's um, it's an impressive thing to do. And, again, I think, you know, you don't want to go back too far uh, with, with some of the guys. I know they threw Shaq in there. I mean, Ben Simmons was not too long ago, but I don't even know if Ben Simmons still repped LSU any, at, at any <laughs> point because he was just – he was there for a semester basically, one and done and left. But, 
it's tough to do, man, and that's and that's where I go back to LSU winning the championships in women's basketball and college baseball. Now, um, you know, if, if they do this in any other sport, uh, you know, they do that. Is it the Governor's Cup? One of those trophies they give away for like you know best just sports program. Um, LSU's got to be in the running with what they've done because it's look, it's not just finishing. It's one thing to say, man, we finished. Uh, second in, in gymnastics or we, uh, we won track and field and we made the sweet 16 in men's basketball like it's one thing to do that kind of stuff uh like ten- tennessee i know they've had a great run this year but like it's another thing when you're actually bringing home the hardware in multiple sports like you win multiple championships in multiple sports in one year that 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 says a lot about where your athletic program is and then you know, like you said even more so when you're talking about uh, having a, a number one overall pick in multiple multiple sports so you know, South Carolina just had Aaliyah Boston in, in women's basketball. I don't know if they – I don't know if there's anybody on their football team that could make a case. I know they had – you know, Javian Clowney was a handful of years ago now. But um, you're right. It's tough. When you look around the SEC, there's a lot of kids going high. But to do it in multiple sports over a short period of time is pretty difficult. Chris, uh, you know, I'll, I'll refrain from asking you this week because we're going to be in person next week. But you know I'm going to be expecting a, a detailed breakdown on what we have going on in the Alabama quarterback depth chart next week in Nashville. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's about to get heated up, man. Uh, you know, it's funny. I saw a week ago there was a tweet about how Jalen or Jalen Milrow is really uh, is really coming along, and that people think that he's got some leadership skills and and could be the guy. And then, like, literally the next day I saw a highlight reel of Ty Simpson throwing it to some of the receivers. They're like, Ty Simpson has come light years from where he was. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I'm just waiting for the Tyler Buckner story to drop. And, you know, Tyler Buckner light years ahead of where he was. So Maybe we it, need to start putting it out ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it's heating up, man. But I, I don't know if we're going to get any resolution to it anytime soon. And the way the schedule sets up, I, I don't. it's not ideal. I don't think Saban wants to go into the season. Uh, not naming a starting quarterback, but they certainly could if they wanted to. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, you're definitely going to be one of the guests that we call upon next week at SEC Media Days, as you always have been locked on the SEC. And again, the greatest conference in the country, 2024, only going to get stronger. And when you start looking at the last question I'm going to ask you in regards to what do you think will be some of the biggest storylines in general as a whole going into next week's SEC Media Days, whether it be from, from a player standpoint or from a coach's standpoint? Yeah, I think the um, – I think obviously the Alabama quarterback, uh, you know, battle is, is going to be one of the biggest storylines. Uh, I think, like you said, Kirby and dealing with the off-the-field issues I think is another one. Uh, how about the return of Hugh Freeze? I mean, that's going to be one of the biggest storylines of, uh, Hugh, you paid a pretty big price, and now you're back. Um, you know, I, I think Greg Sankey's going to get asked about it again. Um, you know, what's it like to have Hugh Freeze back? Because remember, it was just about two years ago. It came out that, you know, there were rumblings that uh, Sankey had a, you know, no return on, on Hugh Freeze, like not going to allow him back into the conference. And obviously some things changed there, but, you know, those will be fascinating. Obviously, Zach Arnett taking over in such a difficult situation with the passing of Mike Leach, I think will be intriguing. I've been told, though, guys, I, we, we had Will Rogers on the, on the show two weeks ago, and we had Mike Wright, who was the former Vanderbilt starting quarterback, who's now at Mississippi State, kind of the backup to Will Rogers. Both those guys have told us this offense is going to be way more balanced 
Mississippi State, like with Zach Arnett being the defensive-minded coach, I think like that's a team to watch because if that defense is suddenly they got Jaden Crumity back there, their their linebackers, Jet Johnson, uh, they're going to be studs on that defense. If they get a little bit more balanced offense with Jaquavius Marks at running back with Will Rogers and a new system, Mississippi State might be that sneaky team to watch in the West that could pull some upsets off the people, and uh, you might have to keep note on them. So just something to keep an eye on as we head into SEC Media Days next week. I know that we're at Major League Baseball midpoint, and your Houston Astros sitting in second place in the Western Division, right behind the Texas Rangers. You look at 50-41. and 41. Second half of the season, do you, do you want, do you think the Astros can find a way to get back to the top of that division and make themselves a World Series champion? Well, that was the big thing. They, they, they won the series against the Rangers just a week ago, took three out of four, and closed that gap. I mean, it was about, they were almost seven games back a few weeks ago, and they closed it to two. So they're in prime spot. I, I heard Derek Jeter over the weekend. They asked him on Fox. You know who's who's the most dangerous team out of the American League? He said, "I still think it's the Astros." He said, "But they may not have the best record, but they've been in the playoffs so many times. Like you got to trust that team when they get to the postseason. They're relaxed. They're not tense. They're not nervous at all. So just kind of something fun to watch. I still stand by my Astros Braves World Series prediction. We still got a plenty way to go, but man, do the Braves look good too? So uh, going to be fun to watch this uh, back stretch of the season uh, here starting up this weekend. Another former SEC superstar, Jabari Smith Jr., putting up mad numbers for the Houston Rockets. And we talked about this yesterday on the show. Michael said, well, do you think Jabari should even be playing? Would you risk it? I say absolutely yes, you do. For the love of the game, you're, you're in your second year. You played 79 games. You want to get better. You want to play against the competition. Plus the fact that the Rockets shut down their season very early at the end of the regular season. So by all means, try to get as much in as you can. Jabari Smith Jr. showing that he's definitely worthy of a top three draft pick. No doubt, and, and everything I've heard around him is he's worked so hard this offseason to improve his game, and we saw it in those first two summer league games. I mean, he looked like an absolute man amongst boys. So I'm excited to see him him and his teammate from LSU, Tari Eason. They both looked uh, lights out in the first two summer league games. Unfortunately, it sounds like they're going to be shut down. Uh, they have their third summer league game tonight. It sounds like neither one is going to play. So uh, that that's kind of unfortunate, but – it is exciting to see what's going to happen this season with those guys because the Rockets have added some pieces in free agency. They've had some more, you know, first-round draft picks that they've added. But all signs point to Jabari Smith taking off and, and having a huge improvement in year two. And if that happens, man, this is, a, this is a superstar in the making. And obviously we saw him at Auburn, how good he was. But I think we're just scratching the surface on how good of an NBA player Jabari Smith can be. And uh, I'm excited to watch it. Kind of on the other end of that spectrum, Chris, Brandon Miller has, I mean, there's been some highs, there's been some some pretty low lows uh, at the start of his summer league career. I mean, that Hornets team is really, really atrocious. I mean, how much stock do you take into these games? And I think it'll take Brandon some time, just as it did take Jabari some time. I mean, do you take a lot of stock in Jabari's performance? Or do you take a lot of stock in Brandon's performance? Yeah, I think it's all – And look, there's been guys we've looked back at in summer league who have put up big numbers and then turned into nothing in the NBA, uh, vice versa. We've seen guys struggle in summer league and then get into the, you know, the regular season as rookies and, and shine. So 
I wouldn't put much stock into it. You know, Brandon Miller, for what he overcame last year with all the noise and distraction that was around him and still going out and performing at a high level night in and night out, winning SEC Player of the Year, I think he's going to be just fine. I, I wouldn't put much stock into it. I, I would I would wait until the end of his rookie season to look back and look if the shooting percentages were awful and he was turning the ball over left and right, then I would have cause for concern, but I think he's going to be just fine. Chris Gordy, can't thank you enough for your great information that you always bring us from an SEC standpoint. And then again, of course, from your Houston Astros standpoint as well. And look forward to catching up with you at SEC Media Days next week in Nashville, Tennessee. And we'll definitely address those questions that were posed to you to see if any of those will be answered at SEC Media Days by the players and coaches who are in attendance. And how can people follow your wonderful coverage of everything that's SEC? Yeah, just Locked on SEC, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on YouTube. Just search Locked on SEC, and you'll see some of our interviews we had demanding passing academy, talking with some of the SEC quarterbacks like Devin Leary, Will Rogers, and Joe Milton. And uh, that's all up there for you, Locked on SEC. Chris Gordy, thank you for joining us. Have a great rest of your week, and we look forward to seeing you next week in Nashville. All right. Thanks, guys. Chris Gordy joining us on the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Don't forget, at 5 o'clock, scheduled to join us, David Cutcliffe, former head coach at Ole Miss, along with at Duke. And he'll just go ahead and, and reminisce a little bit with us tell us what he's doing now and always love catching up with coach cut we'll be right back here on the final drive hi this is phil Steele, and you're listening to wnsp 105.5 Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Tuesday afternoon. And, of course, you know, SEC Media Days starts up in Nashville next week. And we will be taking the final drive to Radio Row and look forward to bringing you great coverage all week long from SEC Media Days, and it's kind of a the appetizer. It gets you really into 30 to 45 days away from kicking off college football, especially SEC football, that tremendous matchup that we're going to see Labor Day weekend between Florida State and LSU. And there's always so many questions that are, are posed at SEC Media Days and especially when you look at Alabama and Auburn, Alabama having two new coordinators. And that's something that does not happen often when you bring in two new coordinators, whether you're familiar with the program or not. And, of course, Auburn bringing in a brand-new head coach that has generated a lot of excitement. So it always what makes you wonder. around Alabama and Auburn. If I didn't know any better, Sound like you're promoting my writing on the WNSP website right there. Just, just a little bit there, Bronner, because th there are questions that are posed and will be asked not only by yourself, but other me media members about five questions about Alabama, five questions about Auburn. And you wrote two different articles, one on Auburn and one on Alabama, about the five biggest questions in your mind in regards to 
to what is it going to take or what is it going to be? And, of course, when you look at Alabama, of course, everyone has asked the question, will continue to ask the question. Nick Saban has never had five quarterbacks on the roster. And you just don't know what direction that's going to be. We probably still won't find out until after week number one going to play Texas at home. But I know that as far as trying to guess, you, you won't be even – you can go ahead and guess – and pontificate all you want to pontificate prior to the season starting or even practice starting, but you're just not going to get any answers. You have to go with what you have because you have a quarterback coming in who has never even taken a snap officially in crimson and white. Hold on. I'll be right back. I got to go pontificate that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So for both teams, if you, you can go ahead and, and check out both articles on WNSP.com. But I sent both links in the app as well if you want to check them out there. But for both teams, obviously the most important position on the field and really for any football team ever, the most important position on the field is quarterback. But both teams are kind of facing questions. I, I think you could probably make the case that it's less of a question for Auburn. Uh, at least in terms of who is going to be playing the position. I think it's more of a question, how much does that person, and of course we know it's Peyton Thorne from Michigan State, uh, barring something unforeseen, how much does he actually elevate the offense? I think Auburn's biggest issue over the, over the last year or so was probably quarterback play. If not quarterback play, then offensive line play. It's another question I ask later in that article. But yeah, I mean... Peyton Thorne was probably the biggest uh, marquee, you know, in terms of discussion. Mar of all the 20-plus transfers that Hugh Freeze brought in, it was like, okay, when are they going to bring in a quarterback? When are they going to bring in a quarterback? And finally they did at the beginning of May. They bring in Peyton Thorne from Michigan State. This guy who started two years at a major program for the Spartans. He had a really good 2021, and Michigan State was really good, and then uh, certainly regressed quite a bit in 2022. That being said, lost Kenneth Walker. I, I think Michigan State was a lot worse as a team. So, you know, I'll, I'll certainly give him a pass and not judge specifically him. Like, I don't think he became a worse quarterback. I think Michigan State became a worse team, which led to him playing worse. But this all being said, yeah, I mean, I think Thorne is kind of an ideal guy to run Freeze's offense. I mean, does Auburn have the personnel to help him out? You know, they bring in like five new offensive linemen, too. Uh, so obviously they've struggled to protect the quarterback over the last year or two as well. So, you know, do, do these new additions on the offensive line make the transition from the Big Ten to the SEC for Peyton Thorne doable and easy? You know, what's going to happen there? For Alabama, you know, they're in a situation where they don't know who's going to play. Well, maybe, maybe they know, but we don't know who's going to play quarterback for Alabama. So, you know, it's and it could really be any one of th – yes, there are five in the room. Uh, I don't think Holstein or Lon are going to really have a chance to, to win the job realistically. But, you know, Milrow, Simpson, and Buckner all realistically could have a chance to win the job. So it's definitely more of a question from an Alabama perspective, you know, who is actually going to be playing quarterback, whereas for Auburn it's like, all right, how much does this new quarterback elevate their level of uh, offense? I think when you elevate your, your offense from an Auburn standpoint, you, you're going to have to keep Peyton upright. It, it, it's not going to matter. You can't have – you have to have him as comfortable as possible after those first three games. Because, again, when you go into your first SEC contest on the road, 
you want to have done so not only with an unblemished record, but you want to have done so with explosive type of Hugh Freeze-based offenses. You don't want there to know what Hugh Freeze's numbers have been at other stops, right? You want those numbers to equate in the same thing he's trying to do at Auburn. And I think that as far as Auburn improving and showing that you're over under six and a half or seven in year number one with Hugh Freeze is not going to be on the defense. It's ultimately going to be on that offensive line, period, because that is where Auburn really were was dominated a year ago. Yeah. And it, it's, it's going to be, it's been it's gonna bad. be on the offensive line. I mean, comes down to uh, the fact that Brian Harson couldn't recruit offensive linemen, and obviously Hugh Freeze, you know, needing to completely turn over the roster has brought in guys that are, you know, going to be starting for sure on the offensive line. You know, you look at the uh, – I think they brought in two guys from Tulsa, but the one tackle, Dylan Wade, uh, Gunnar Britton from Western Kentucky as well. You know, those are probably your two starting tackles uh, for, for the Auburn Tigers. So it's like there's talent there, there's – guys they didn't have before like they should in theory they should you know if they're not better well you can go ahead and write off Auburn season now but you know I'd be shocked if they're not at least significantly better the question is you know do you go from terrible to good in one off season or terrible to just okay because if you're just okay well Thorne you know he's it's not going to be it's never going to be easy for him you know you got to play Alabama you got to play Georgia you got to play LSU you got to play a lot of other SEC teams as well so you know, I think what does help for Peyton Thorne is getting acclimated with that early season schedule. You know, you play UMass, you play Cal, you play Samford. You get three games to get your legs under you before you have to head to College Station. And again, we've we've said this a lot. It's like they kind of have to win that A&M game because after that it's Georgia and after that it's at LSU. So, you know, you lose that L- you lose the A&M game. It could pretty quickly turn from three and zero to three and three. So, uh, and that's assuming they avoid disaster at Cal, which they really should. If if you lose to Cal week two, you know the kind of season you're hoping to have is already, you know, you can almost throw it out the window already at that point. Yeah, you you don't want to lose that early one if you're Auburn. I know that there are time zone changes and that you're going to have to be acclimated to a, a late night kickoff, but you don't want to make excuses moving forward. You want to have all the momentum going into your first SEC road game. I love Auburn's DBs. Nehemiah Pritchett and, mm. and DJ James both have plenty of experience. Best group on the team and by far is the I, secondary. I know that, you know, Roger McCreary Jr. was was that last guy in the secondary, especially being from right here at Williamson High School. DJ James being a local product. Nehemiah Pritchett coming from nearby Jackson, Alabama, just being difference makers for them and not wanting to test either one of them. Auburn's defense, defensive line has to get stronger up front as well. But as far as confidence is concerned, you, you, you get offense firepower from Hugh Freeze early and you, you start scoring 30, 35 points a game that being the average going into your first SEC game, especially being undefeated on the road or not, you're truly going to have a a test week in and week out from an SEC schedule standpoint. Even when you play Missouri, Vanderbilt, it doesn't matter. You better bring your A game. And I think that Auburn-Texas A&M game will be a fantastic contest. But from Alabama's standpoint, Michael, uh, the questions aren't necessarily – 
at offensive line. I think that Alabama will be stronger this year at the offensive line. You're going to have to rotate and change some players' positions. Um, and with a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator, I know plenty of Alabama fans that, that had been screaming for the last two years, uh, get, get rid of the D.C., get rid of the D.C. We're glad he's gone. Yep. We're glad he's gone. So that change, now that you've made it, we'll continue to see if the consistency is there with this Alabama defense because that's yeah. one of the things that was not there for last year's defense. You don't see – you can get beat one-on-one -on, -one on any given play, and you play the next play, right? But when it happens three or four times in a game, that's what makes Nick Saban or, or, or seven or eight, yeah, like in, in Tennessee's case. Absolutely that was the case. And even the mental mistakes that get made on the road in a hostile environment like Baton Rouge and Death Valley, you, you, you don't get the signal in on time or mm. you don't become that alpha dog leader like you're supposed to. Is, is that a reflection going to be on, on Kevin Steele? Um, and, and their communication because that's something you don't want to see either because going to Jordan Hare, trust me, I'm sitting there for a five-overtime game or whatever it was, one of the most historic Iron Bowls ever. And, and Auburn, I mean, it, it was deafening yeah. when Alabama had to try to go 99 yards. And that just goes to show how cool Bryce Young was and to continue to be able to convert. But I, I think that Alabama – with two new coordinators, their consistency in game one will set the tempo because no matter what happens, no matter what the score is, Nick Saban's not going to be happy with the score in week number one. No doubt about versus it. Middle. Uh, it it's, no he's not going to be happy. Yeah. I, I mean, they're not going to play a perfect game. He, he It was funny because, like, I think he was pretty happy to the media after the Utah State game last year, and it was almost impossible not to be. I mean, they played a pretty perfect game defensively. Utah State couldn't do anything. But then, you know, the season went. <laughs> the season went. Maybe it was a little eye-opening for, for Saban. You brought up Auburn's defensive line, and that'll be interesting too because, you know, they remember they lose Derek Hall, who was a second-round pick. Uh, to Seattle, I believe Colby Wooden got drafted as well. You know, you lose Owen Popo at linebacker. So they're replacing more in that front seven than uh, than probably any other position group. On Obviously, you bring in 20 transfers, you're quote-unquote replacing a lot. But in terms of talent that would have contributed to the roster, uh, you know, you lose a lot there. Uh, yeah, I mean, the secondary is phenomenal for the, for the Tigers. You know, Nehemiah Pritchett and DJ James and rounded out with Zion Puckett and Keontae Scott and Jalen Simpson playing safety. Uh, for Alabama... Yeah, I mean, the pressure's certainly on Kevin Steele, isn't it? I mean, it's it's a situation where the noise was loud around Pete Golding, and rightfully so after last year. So you, you got to get back to playing an it's elite style. It's been loud style. for the last two years. Well, I mean, rightfully so. And at this point, you don't have Bryce Young to bail you out. And you're, you don't have a 2020 Mac Jones offense to come put up 55 points a game and 600 yards a game like no matter even if the quarterback situation is good this year which like I think that's optimistic to think whoever wins the job is going to be good like I think we we, we can hope for decent quarterback play I think that that's what I'm hoping for well, well here's here's you know we're, we're talking about the quarterbacks week in and week out here 
since the Sugar Bowl. And yeah. I know you mentioned you didn't even feel like Bryce Young should have played in the Sugar Bowl, right? Because you want to see I would love to see Ty Simpson yeah. to develop at quarterback, okay? But Bronner, what what's really being overlooked is uh, is a great point again by Steel Tide is the penalties. Yeah. And you 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 don't have Bryce Young can bail you out of third and 17. Yeah. Bryce Young can bail you out of second and 20. You get into that situation now. And I'm not going to mm. say that Alabama can't get out of that situation now because one of your your points was what is going to be the depth at wide receiver. Yeah. So, you know, you do we'll have to talk to about have, that later. You should have a good enough offensive line that keeps whoever is under center upright to be able to hit wide receivers. But you you can't be the second or third most or the most penalized team in the Southeastern Conference the way that Alabama was last year. And even from a defensive standpoint, the pass interferences that, that kept drives alive, the, the holding you, you, there are certain things that you just cannot do, and penalties were ultimately covered up like deodorant <laughs> for Alabama because you had people like Bryce Young that when you're in a, a, a first and goal and it becomes third and goal and you're at the 18 or 19-yard line, don't overlook the fact that Will Reichert coming back is going to make a huge difference too. It's probably one of the more under-talked about narratives headed into the season. That and penalties. Reichert is huge. Are the two most under-talked points of emphasis for Alabama football, period. Well, Will Anderson, you know, chose the Texas game probably to have his worst game of his career last. I think he had had multiple personal fouls. But but that's Will Anderson. I mean, you're you're looking at someone who goes – Number three in the NFL draft, right? So Saban still wasn't tolerating that. And I think that that wasn't the only game that Will was guilty of having what you call mental errors and mental brain farts for the Alabama Crimson Tide. It was done on the secondary level. It was done by defensive linemen. It was done by the line. All 11 were guilty at some point in time and that really handicapped and hindered Alabama in its losses as well. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 will continue on the other side of this break. Hey, this is Ladarius Owens, former Auburn football player and current CFL player. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, you know, Kane Womack does a phenomenal job as the head coach at South Alabama. And, of course, anytime you're able to come off a historic 10-win season, you're going to continue to add players from the portal and being able to play immediately South Alabama as a punter slash holder, more so a holder, to this 23 roster from San Diego State, David Delgado. He made no extra points and no field goals for San Diego State, but at the same time, it's still one of those specialist positions that get overlooked, that third phase of the game. 
in special teams. You, you, you can get a scholarship as a holder, too. So I think that that's very important. And Jamarian Burt coming from Oklahoma. He's a defensive back having four years of eligibility remaining for Kane Womack. So here it is. You're in July, and you get ready to start your fall camp in about less than two and a half to three weeks. And as you prepare for that opening game, Kane Womack has definitely welcomed and opened up the transfer portal at South Alabama. Yeah, and it's it's funny that it's a DB. I've, you know, we've talked a lot about how they're going to replace Darrell Luter. Obviously, it's going to be a by-committee type of situation. It's got to be for a player that, that special. So, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how the secondary is. I mean, they're certainly they certainly bring back a lot of talent. They bring in some new talent as well now. So uh, yeah, I mean, I would expect another another elite secondary from the Jaguars. Twelfth Division One transfer, and that that's since the end of the twenty two season. So when you have those type of transfers and, and they're able to come in and add to the depth of your roster you, you'll take them for sure and sometimes you can come in and shine at a South Alabama but there are holes to be filled on Kane Womack's roster he has an, almost an entire offense and defense <laughs> returning which is going to make them probably preseason favorites when the Sunbelt Conference predictions come out at SBC Media Day and we'll keep a, definitely keep an eye out on Coach Womack's roster as it continues to evolve as we prepare for this 23 football season. David Cutcliffe scheduled to join us next here on WNSP 105.5. You don't want to miss the former coordinator at Tennessee, head coach at Ole Miss and Duke, joining us next here on The Final Drive. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to our number three of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this Tuesday evening now. want to thank everyone for having us locked in. And of course, you can correspond with us on the WNSP app, or you can give us a call at 251-694-1055. And as we get ready to approach SEC Media Days next week in Nashville, Tennessee, it's always great to catch up with SEC legends and a legendary man not only in faith, family, and football, former head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels and the Duke Blue Devils, and, of course, one of the greatest assistant coaches in Tennessee volunteer football history, David Cutcliffe, 
is our guest this evening on the final drive. Coach, good evening. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, thank you, Corey. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and it makes me feel like I'm in Mobile, which is one of the great places that through the years college football seems to have always carried me, recruiting and loved hearing all those football sounds. You're getting me ready, man. Absolutely, Coach. I, I know we have a lot of people say, hey, look, we're looking at Riley Leonard right here from Fairhope, Alabama, the type of season he had a year ago at Duke. Of course, you being instrumental and influential in him coming to play for the Blue Devils. And when you hear a young man like that that is even being mentioned for Heisman Trophy candidacy and just knowing that he just came back to Fairhope a couple of weeks ago to bring his offensive lineman down with him to get back to the youth. How does that make you feel, Coach? Well, that's that's Riley. That's Riley's family. I'm always cautious to talk about now somebody else's player, but I recruited Riley hard and coached him a year, and I love him and, and know he and his family very well. I, I'm not surprised uh, by anything that Riley accomplishes. And he is one of the um, most positive, likable leaders. And he's a leader. Now, he's demanding, but he's one of the more positive, likable leaders I've ever been around. And uh, he, he's he's got a real shot at being special. Well, I tell you, Coach, you had some special times at your stop in Knoxville, Tennessee, and one of those being led oh. by former Williamson great quarterback T. Martin. And, of course, T. Absolutely. learned a lot from somebody named Peyton Manning and was able to get you guys to the mountaintop in 1998. And when you see T. Martin now having an opportunity to coach someone like Lamar Jackson in the NFL as a quarterback's coach, once again, does that just not give you the heebie-jeebies in regards to knowing <laughs> that a great leader when he was 21 years old is now a great leader of other young men and men in the NFL as well? Yeah, again, I'm, I'm not surprised. It gives me goosebumps. I absolutely love it. And T is one of the genuine good people uh, on the face of the earth. And he was when he was young. Um, obviously a great athlete, great player, but it went way beyond that. And I am so happy that he's coaching the quarterback. And Lamar Jackson, what goes through my mind, man, how lucky are you? Be very, very coachable, Lamar. And, uh, you know, so he's a guy that, in my opinion, should be a head football coach somewhere. And he, he has that kind of leadership quality, that kind of football knowledge. He and I, through the years when he was a young coach, we talked a lot of football. And um, he's a good all-around person and a good all-around football coach is what you need in our head coaches today. We're speaking to David Cutcliffe, former head coach at Ole Miss, head coach at Duke, offensive coordinator at Tennessee. Coach, I have to ask you another question about Peyton Manning. I mean, when you had a chance to be his offensive coordinator at Tennessee, did you know just how special he was going to be? Yeah, I mean, it didn't take long um, on the field 
off the field, um, I would say the most coachable person that I've ever coached. Uh, he was a sponge. And, you know, we remained in that role for 18 years of his pro career. He would come back and stay a week or more. And then when he transitioned out after the surgery, he moved in with us. And again, just an amazingly coachable person that is much more physically gifted. You know, people don't realize how good an athlete he is. His muscle memory, his ability to the sense of balance and gravity and the footwork, uh, great athlete. Sometimes people assume great athlete means a guy that can run, you know, four or five. And that, that there's more to it than that. And uh, I get irritated sometimes when people don't realize that about Peyton. Coach, you've also had the opportunity to have family in football. We know how strong the roots and the ties are in the Manning family from a quarterback position. And I know that you have spread your knowledge down to your son, and he was the head coach and had an opportunity to be in the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game last year that was held right here at Hancock-Whitney Stadium. You as a father watching your son really coach the game in high school and going back to your days as the head coach at Banks High School in, in Birmingham, d do you see any reflection or mirror image of yourself, or has the game totally changed from when you were the head coach in high school to where when your son is the head coach now? No, I think I think the game is going to change, but I see a, a bunch of reflection. Um, and it was it's an interesting thing. He, he coached with us uh, a year at Duke. And he, he could be an outstanding college football coach. I mean, he's gifted. But he came to me, and he had just gotten married, and he said, Dad, Molly and I um, just don't want to get to where we're having to move all over the country to have a family, raise children. Um, he She was his high school sweetheart. He said, we want to go back to Oxford. They'll hire me there. And he became, you know, an assistant coach there, then later to become the head coach and has done a great job, won a state championship. Then he looked at me and he asked me something. He said, am I settling? I said, Chris, settling? I said, you're about to take on the greatest profession on the face of the earth. I said, you're going to teach math and coach football? Do you realize how many times in the Bible that Jesus refer is referred to as teacher? I said, I am so proud of you, and that's really all I ever wanted to be. And I'll be honest with you, as a college football coach, I felt the obligation to continue to be a teacher, which means you're, you're all aspects of a person, right? I mean, that's what we want our best teachers to be, and I'm so proud of him because he's not only a great football coach, he has been a great math teacher, and he was a brilliant math student. So... Yeah, I'm really proud of him. Coach, you're a guy who has always kind of been known as a quarterback guru, and you've been around for, for so long. I mean, the list of quarter I mean, not only the Manning brothers, but, you know, Heath Schuler, T. Martin, all the way to Daniel Jones. I mean, just how – I'm so curious to know your perspective on how the quarterback position, have how you've seen it evolve over your all your years in coaching. Well, you know, we've gone from my era from being under the center – where cadence was very verbal 
um, very, very much, um, you know, you did more in cadence at quarterback under the center. You communicated more. You actually changed plays more often. There were more ways to do that. And um, it's an interesting thing. I had to transition along with these other quarterbacks to a shotgun era, which has been great. But your protection circumstance is better in the shotgun. But what I did, I think if I did anything really well, was I trained quarterbacks from the neck up and the neck down. And I never ignore the neck down. Let's start with the fundamentals. I'd still teach them what a drop is from under the center and how, how your shoulders should turn and where your eyes need to be and reading through the middle of the field. And, you know, there's so many little things that you have to do uh, mechanically well, and it starts from the ground up in your hands, your fingers. You throw a football with your fingers. From the, the the chest, I mean, excuse me, from the shoulders up, that mind, it's always busy. As soon as the play's over, it's got to get busy. We have a process that we go through. As soon as the play ends and you use that time, you need every second you can get. And that's what I've trained guys through the years, and it's why they come back from the NFL is just kind of get those those processes right, and I've learned as they've learned, and where I've learned the most is from our players because they're the functional part. And when they say, hey, coach, have you thought about this? I'm like, wow, that's brilliant. And I would tell all young coaches, learn from the functional part of your position, whatever position you coach. And then you have to be, as I said, a great teacher, coach every inch of them as a person and a player and I believe that's why we've been successful with the quarterbacks and we've got a good system and we've you know we we know that the most important thing about any play is that when the play's over we have possession of the ball and if a guy doesn't believe that he's not going to play for us and um, sometimes they tend to forget that when they get off running in the NFL and I kind of have to you know get a little chokehold there and go back to coaching them hard so uh, it's an interesting thing. I love it. I, I miss it, you know, to be real honest with you. But I'm I'm liking what I'm doing. You know, I can influence a lot of people and, and coaches and hopefully influence our game and help administrators see how coaches and players see things and all of that. So I, I really believe I'm doing important work in that regard. So I'm not going to whine about not coaching. Speaking with David Cutcliffe, again, special assistant to the Commissioner for Football Relations in the Southeastern Conference and, of course, former head football coach at Ole Miss and Duke University. A a lot of people forget the fact that, you know, you are a graduate from the University of Alabama. So, absolutely, growing up in Birmingham, knowing what – one of the greatest coaches of all time, Paul Bear Bryant, means not only to this state but to the history of college football. And then having a chance to to see Nick Saban take over from his his dominance at LSU, winning the national championship, then flipping it over and coming back, and the process being turned at Alabama, and then then seeing another goat when you're on the campus of Duke University and Coach Shashesky. How would you say <laughs> that for Coach sure. K and, and Coach Saban, you know, two goats of their sports, and even Coach Bryant, if you could make that triangle 
of coaches there. I know John Wooden had pyramids to success, but the link there from Bear Bryant to Nick Saban to Coach Krzyzewski all coming across your path. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I can I can tell you about the similarities that that change everything. They um, they don't miss any of the little things. Uh, they they were all or were and it, and are uh, great teachers. Um, I had to coach against Nick, and I'll just tell you this: as a defensive coach, coaching against him. I've always graded defensive coaches as an offensive guy. You know, everybody can teach them, you know, what to do and how to do it. But you're special when you can teach them why they're doing it. And I think Nick understands the fact that a great teacher inspires learning. And they want to know why they're doing something. And I've watched him practice and been around him, and, and, and he does just that. I think he's a great on the field practice coach. He's obviously great on game day, but uh, I think that's that's a big part of the success. Shesky's practices, uh, the the same thing, uh, the the detail, the demands, um, the standards that are expected. You know, and and I think, you know, this was Coach Bryant. This I believe is 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 Coach Saban. And I certainly know it was Coach Krzyzewski. Um, the habits that matter are the collective habits of a team. Um, if you do that, you've got a program. And that's why they sustain winning. That's a program. There's a difference. And sadly now we're in the midst of an era where things change so much year to year. People are just trying to have a good team. And I certainly understand that and don't blame them. But to, to watch Coach Bryant, you know, build a program firsthand was such a great lesson for me. And to be able to be around Mike Krzyzewski. And I'll tell you, you know, my time with Johnny Majors, he had a lot of those those same qualities. Um, it wasn't an accident they won a national championship at Pitt. And, you know, it's uh, it, it's been a fun ride that way. And, you know, I think the most important thing is – as a coach, and, and I listen at every practice, say what you mean and mean what you say, and then you have consistency. And that's the only way you're going to win consistently is to have consistency. Because what we become, you know how those, remember the coaches used to tell you, practice doesn't make perfect, perfect make practice make yeah. perfect. Well, there is no such thing, and I got tired of that because I never reached perfection. <laughs> so what I came up with is that practice makes permanent. We become what we repeatedly do. And I tell you, Aristotle knew that in 380 B.C. He could have been a heck of a ball coach. He knew how important <laughs> good reps were, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the, the – the, the, it's, it's not the X's and O's or the super knowledge. Yeah, you got to have knowledge of strategy and, and, and schemes, but it, it's the standards. It's the little things. And um, – that are consistently demanded. When a coach says, you know, put your hand behind the line, everybody in that program has to put their hand behind the line. Everybody, not 99%. When they say finish through the line, it doesn't mean to it. You know, these are the things that we, we taught all along, and I was, they're not original. I was blessed to have been 
taught these things along the way. So, um, yeah, I just – I'm thrilled to watch. I, I love to go watch Coach Saban coach on the field. I just think he's tremendous on the practice field. And, and there are others in our league. But, you know, it's fun. I go – you know, I went last spring to 16 schools. So I made a visit to Texas and Oklahoma and watched everybody work and see what's going on and see if I can help anybody or anything. And that was kind of fun, to tell you the truth. It's a grind, but it was a lot of fun. Speaking to Coach David Cutcliffe, former head coach at Ole Miss as well as Duke University. Coach Cutcliffe, when you took over for Tommy Tuberville at Ole Miss, you know, you're able to get Eli Manning to come play for you. And I'm just so curious. Obviously, you coached both Manning brothers. I mean, how were they similar and how were they different in terms of, you know, how you had to coach them and, and how you had, to, you know, both on the field and off the field? Sure. Well, their their talent is obviously very similar. Eli is a different person, you know, and and I approached him quite differently than than I did Peyton. They're both great leaders. Is another similarity, and one of the habits they have. We're talking practice habits. Is they have the ability to make every rep like a game. So when when I would go watch Eli, and I'm going to use him even after he left on this. He had an effect on the New York Giants. Their practice habits on offense got better. And it was very obvious where it came from. And, and his coaches knew that. And Eli, uh, the difference is Peyton was so entrenched in the history of football and all the rich traditions. And, you know, we would be somewhere playing and he would say, you know, you remember such such play. Eli can care less about the history. He just wanted to play the game, you know, and um, and I, that that served him well because just think he was following his dad at Ole Miss, who the campus speed limit was his dad's jersey number, okay, and he's following his brother who was an All American in the SEC, and those are not easy tasks. And uh, you know, I haven't asked Arch. I've talked to Arch, and I know Arch well, but. You know, I'm, I wasn't surprised that Art's not trying to follow a footstep exactly. You, you understand what I'm saying. So he's going to get the benefit of being in the league, but it, but in an entirely different environment. So who knows, uh, you know, what he will do yet. I, I w quit, wish people wouldn't put so much pressure on him. I, I tell him, I said, two things to focus on when you start college football that I told your uncles and I told every player I ever coached. Two things to focus on. Go in as a freshman and try to be the best teammate on the team. Go in as a freshman and make sure that football's still fun to you. Because if it's not, you're making a big mistake. You'll never be as good as you should be. So that's kind of where I would hope people leave him alone and, and let him do that. He'll definitely have time to develop for sure. And part of your development started at Banks High School in Birmingham, Alabama. And, you know, you can't talk – Banks High School without talking Coach Shorty White and, and what he meant to the Banks Jets. And the, the most historic football game really in the state of Alabama's history in high school football when there were over 42,000 people flooding Legion Field when you had Jeff Rutledge playing Woodlawn. I, I, just talk about what it means to be a high school coach and how pure it is. You, you talked about your son now coaching, but what Banks meant to you and, and the roots Ooh. that it gave you and how it propelled you to your role today. 
Well, it was it was Coach White certainly, and and I miss him. I was a pallbearer at his funeral. He was very meaningful to all of us. Um, you know, I learned things, talking about little things. Everything mattered. You, you had to have your locker a certain way every day. We were responsible for cleaning the locker room as players, including toilets and urinals. Um, you, every everything in his equipment room was folded the same. Uh, the the reason he won state championships and put so many football players not only in the SEC but the NFL were those consistent demands. And then he hired great assistant football coaches that I'm still friends with today that were my mentors. And I'm very close to, to those guys and admire them. And I knew I lost my dad in high school uh, in, a, in a car wreck at 15, and I, I knew I wanted to be like those men. And so I, I wanted to be Coach Bryant. I'll be honest with you. That's that kind of started me toward the path. And then I knew, hey, and I thought more realistically, I can. I, and I became the head coach at Banks. I sat in Coach White's chair. I was scared to death. You know, twenty-three years old, then turned twenty-four. That's frightening. Um, but 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 a great experience. And I'm still close to those players today. And they're very meaningful uh, to me. I, I, I tell them all the time, you know, thank goodness you put up with, with me developing as a coach. And and we had success. And most importantly, we, we developed life, lifetime relationships. And I think that's what happens in high school. And I'm going to go out to dinner here real soon with six or seven of my teammates. And uh, one of the pluses of being back in the – the area and uh, yeah, Banks Banks is a special special memory and place for me. And it was like the perfect place and time that we all happened to be there. Faculty, Lord, we had great teachers, and uh, so I, I'm so blessed. My path has been so blessed that that I've owed trying to be my best to all of those folks. Well, I tell you what. Coach, it doesn't get any better than you as far as being a mentor to so many young men that are now adults as well and, and are really following in your footsteps. So you have definitely went – you give people their flowers while they're still living, and that's why I love the fact that you're you're so very accessible and you're always willing to, to sit down and, and have a conversation. And, Coach, that, that means not only the world to me, but to your former players – as well that I know speak so highly of you and, and have gone on to, to bigger and brighter things, not only in their faith, but in their families and in the football world as well. Yeah, and, and I'm going to add their futures. Our four S for faith, family, your futures, your futures players, not us coaches, and then football. And we won a lot of games and championships. we got a lot of rings in doing it that way. And we've got kids that were born into nothing you know, making upper six figures, which I'm, <laughs> that blows my mind. I, I get down on my knees and thank the good Lord for that. And uh, you're right, we all have a chance as teachers, educators, coaches uh, to do this thing right. And I hope coaches can, can continue to feel that way. Well, I know how we feel about you here at WNSP and how I feel about you, Coach. I can't thank you enough. I love you, brother. I appreciate your time. 
Hopefully, Lord willing, I'll have an opportunity to catch up with you at SEC Media Days in Nashville next week. And again, see you face to face, Coach. Always a pleasure talking with the one and only David Cutcliffe here on the final drive. Thank you again, Coach. Thank you, Corey. Y'all have a great rest of your day. Be blessed. Coach David Cutcliffe joining us this evening on the final drive, and we'll be right back. Hello, Mobile. This is Damian Craig, and I'm listening to Sports Station WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Michael Brauner, my wonderful producer, joining us this afternoon as well. And, you know, when you want to thank Coach David Cutcliffe, when you look at all of his accomplishments, going to Alabama, having an opportunity to, to see and learn a little bit from Paul Bear Bryant and then win a national championship at Tennessee and then, of course, learn from Coach Krzyzewski while he was at Duke and then take all of what he's learned as a head coach and as a father and as a grandparent and then to continue to be able to share that as an SEC special assistant. You know, doesn't have to worry about wins and losses anymore, Michael Bronner, but a very unique figure in college football history and not only from a Tennessee standpoint, from a Duke standpoint, from an Ole Miss standpoint, just a flat-out winner. Yeah, man, huge thanks to uh, David Cutcliffe for being so generous with his time. You know, I could <laughs> I could listen to him talk all day. Uh, that was that was really great. And, you know, talk about a guy who has had a decorated career and, and coached some really talented names and, and had the opportunity to uh, – coach in some big games you know you're talking about a guy who won a national championship with t martin had the opportunity to coach peyton manning had the opportunity to coach eli manning you know he's had has like seven nfl quarterbacks on his under his coaching tree it's pretty unbelievable uh so you know big thanks to him for taking some time with us well you know it goes back to to what he learned as a head coach and the responsibilities that he has taken on again leaving Ole Miss not the way he wanted to, but standing up for his assistant coaches. And it's kind of a little different situation as we recap what's going on on today's show. A different story at Northwestern. Of course, Northwestern has decided to retain all of its assistant coaches as far as Made me look up for a second. I thought you were about to say Pat Fitz. I thought because yesterday we had the breaking news right. right around this time that he was fired. So I thought you were about to tell me 24 hours later. Oh no, they decided to retain him. But yeah, it's weird. I mean, they they retain the whole staff, but it's like if you're gonna put the onus on. And I understand like the buck stops the head coach, yada yada yada, whatever phrasing you want to put on that. But like if you're gonna operate under the assumption that Pat Fitzgerald knew about it. Like, wouldn't the assistant coaches probably know about it, too? Like, it's all optics, man. The interim coach is in his first year. All right, he fair came enough. from uh, North Dakota State. But so, the whole staff? I exactly. So so that's kind of what is a little bit shocking. And, and we've seen 
the 180 that Northwestern has made since Friday. So You know why they're retaining the whole staff? I, I, I would have I'll, no clue as to I'll, how I'll you're I'll tell you why. entire Cause, staff. Because it's July, and, and you, can't fill out, you can't fill out an entire staff for, and be ready for the season. That, well, you like, that's why. You win anyway, so the only thing you could do is go 0-12. Yeah, I guess, with, I guess with, with so. With the skeleton crew staff, yeah. so it's not like you could be much worse from a Northwestern football standpoint. So that part, to me, I think that by retaining legal counsel, that is the best thing that you could do. But as far as hazing is concerned in athletics, I just don't think that there's any room for it. Now, practical jokes are one thing. Like, I used to love watching Mike Golick and his sports bloopers and, and practical jokes that, that people used to play. So it's there's a huge there's, difference. There's a turn back of the clock. I forgot about those. Man, I, I mean, there's a huge difference between practical jokes or what Tony Saragusa did to Shannon Sharp, by, you know, or dumping M&Ms all in someone's car or – yeah, they weren't dumping M&Ms Skittles. in cars at Northwestern. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, you're, you're in a whole different light between playing a practical joke and there being hazing. Because now when, again, you, you begin to talk about as far as racial and sexual undertones that, that cost you, and, okay, if – let's give Coach – Fitzgerald the, the benefit of the doubt and say he did not know at the top let's just let's play devil's advocate say okay. he knew nothing about it we'll give him the benefit of the doubt okay you have a football staff at a power five that probably consists of 25 to 30 members mm -hmm. not a single ops guy not a single staffer no one at all knew anything that's the thing like if you want to get into that game it's like if if you remotely believe that there's any shred of possibility that Pat Fitzgerald didn't know I mean the staff certainly like someone knew so like I, I don't know I think it's a very weird look to retain the entire staff after keeping Pat like the interim coach you said just got there so that's one thing yeah I mean, uh, if you're bringing but, in a, and at one and eleven, I probably would have wanted to evaluate sure. my staff as sure. well yeah. and, and shake things up offensively and defensively. But I just think that you know, not everyone has to go, but the accountability of guess that that's what you call head on the chopping block, ultimately at the top. So if you're gonna if you're gonna go ahead and and, and take it from the top, that is the head coach. And that's ultimately the, the choice that Northwestern kind of was forced to make. Now, from a, a, a litigation standpoint, what coach will be owed, what he won't be owed, I think that is yet to be determined because, again, Northwestern is a private institution to where they don't have to necessarily divulge as much information as a, as a public school would have to, to give you. And for that matter, you look at the same situation that we talked about yesterday with Bob Huggins and his job. And real, real quick before you switch to that, I, I someone put it in the app and I saw it on Twitter earlier, so I, I do have to bring this up. So, I mean, I don't think there's any actual rumors to back this, but like 
people were putting on Twitter today the possibility that Tommy Reese could be considered for the Northwest. And I don't think that's like right now. Like they're going to have an intern. So like you're gonna, I mean, maybe you a year a whole, down the line. A whole year to sit and think about who you want to bring yeah. in. Yeah. I mean, if he has a good year, I mean, I, I it, it would be very annoying from an Alabama perspective because like I feel like a big part of the reason you bring in Tommy Reese is the fact that you think he's going to be there for a little while. No, you know, he's such you a young you coach. These type of dominoes are going to fall, but you have to have success at, at Alabama. I'm not going to put the cart before the horse because I think that from an interim standpoint, you always look, where's the first place that everybody at Alabama baseball program wanted to look to hire a head, a head coach? At Alabama? Yeah, from Alabama baseball. I mean, It wasn't Maryland. Yeah. Internally. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people wanted Jason Jackson. Exactly. So, again, you give this first-year coordinator an opportunity to have interim on him. You see how he does. Not to say that he will become the next thing because Coach Pat Fitzgerald had been around the institution since 1991 as a player. So, he knew it like the back of his hand. So, I, I, I don't know that you necessarily can say, all right, well, Alabama's OC is, is going to be a leading candidate. You like for that to happen, and Nick Saban has talked about that over and over and over again. And and that's probably going to be one of the questions that he's asked. You know, for all the flack that down Alabama line. got, for all the flack that Alabama got for hiring Tommy Reese, it'd be pretty annoying if he had a really <laughs> he had a really great year and then just took the head coaching job at Northwestern. Now you're looking for a new offensive coordinator again a year later. I, I like I doubt it. Uh, I would think you know following a mess like this, I would think you probably wouldn't hire a first time head coach. I would think yeah, you, you would. would. Now's the time. Well, to do it. May maybe now, uh, maybe it that, is. That, that's yeah. why that's why you'll see he's his a really name young guy about. too. I don't know. We'll that's, see. That's why you'll see his name thrown about, sure. especially if Alabama has the type of success. Like if Jalen Milrow becomes a good passer this season, now Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese might be the offense, might be the head coach at Northwestern, or any other Alabama quarterback on the roster. Yeah, is able to have success. Like if Ty Simpson becomes Bryce Young, exactly. You you, you definitely. We'll Tyler Buckner is magically like good. Any of them, any of them have success, and they start putting up good offensive numbers, not great offensive numbers, and Alabama wins, it automatically makes you a candidate for a Power 5 job, period. Sure. And I think that him coming over to Alabama, there's a reason. Coach Saban is not just going to hire anybody to, to run the offense. He has a lot of confidence in this young coach, and, and that may be the, the jolt that Northwestern needs because you look at what what is Reese's roots. What are his roots? Ultimately, the end game is to become a head coach. Sure. And especially at his age, to be tabbed a power five head coach. Yeah, he got his start at Northwestern as well. So, there, you know, after, you, uh, I mean, after that, his playing career ended. That's why the speculation will be there but i'm not ready to say only for a year i mean no i'm not i'm not ready to you know show show again you you come to alabama to be plucked away that means you've done something right because when you're plucked away you, you can you can say what you want to about goldie but he may not have he was an outstanding recruiter i don't think lane kiffin would have hired him if he was not a great recruiter i didn't say that he was a great defensive coordinator that's not what came out of my mouth but the fact that he does have certain attributes that 
coming off of that saving tree, you, you want to pluck them away. And I think that that will be a question that will continue to be asked. But going back to Bob Huggins of West Virginia, you know, Coach Huggins, I didn't think he would do was doing it for the money. But you're not going to get Seems like he might be doing it for the money. Yeah, you're not going to get that job back. The president has already stated it. The athletic director has already stated it. So now it just boils down to financially what that situation is going to be. And the same thing with Coach Fitzgerald because I mentioned he had a 10-year contract. That means they wanted him to be a lifer no. at Northwestern as he had already been spending over half his life on that campus. And that's what it meant to him, but no longer the situation there. We'll put the finishing touches on the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Of course, we'll briefly touch on what day is it. And of course, we'll set the table for tomorrow's show as well. A show you definitely don't want to miss for certain. The final drive will be right back. Hey, this is Julian Zeus McClurkin with the world famous Harlem Globetrotters, and my favorite station is WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And I mentioned moments ago, you don't want to miss the show lined up for tomorrow. But today, Michael, what day is it? What day is it, Mike? Let's guess what today is. <laughs> what day is it? Michael Broner, I would tell you today is National 7-Eleven Day. What do you know about 7-Eleven, bruh? Like the store? Yeah. I, what do you mean? What do I, I, I'm pretty sure that started in the north, not the south. But, but, but when you, you go into 7-Eleven, what do you get, man? Uh, man, I mean, it's pretty much the same as any other gas station, but they have Slurpees, too. There you go. You <laughs> said the man. I was about to revoke you, brother. You, you said the magic word, 7-Eleven and Slurpees. You can't there go you into go. a 7-Eleven without getting that Slurpee in. Of course, today is also National Blueberry Muffin Day. I get my day started every day with a blueberry muffin. And as well as today, you look at its National Cheer Up the Lonely Day. And also, a lot of people's favorite, it's All-American Pet Photo Day. So Pet Photo Day. Pet Photo Day. But also on 7-Eleven on Day, it's National Free Slurpee Day. So... You know, you can go in and Oh, try. that's today. Is you, there even a 7-Eleven in Mobile? Yeah, I wouldn't know. Not a 7-Eleven. Plenty of Circle Ks, but 7-Eleven. Well, that doesn't do a whole lot for a, us on 7-Eleven, does it? It's a whole different thing. I don't but think Circle one, K participates. One of the things that I really love, too, though, is National State Fair Food Day. State Fair Food Day. Yeah, what do you get at the State Fair, Mike? Maybe like a funnel cake? Yeah, bingo. <laughs> Corn dog and funnel cake. Can't go wrong. How about... uh? Cow Appreciation Day. Cow Appreciation Day. Oh. There's. Have you ever been cow tipping? <laughs> no, I like cows too much to tip them. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you, That's do mean. You like, 
You like hamburger cow? Well, you, is that well, what you're saying? Or will you like cows too well, much? Well, I also I like hamburgers and I like steak, but I like I like cows the animal too. It's <laughs> like that's my favorite animal. I'm not gonna tip them over. Okay, all right. They uh, give me fair, good. Fair they give enough. me good meat and they're they're cute and and fun looking. They make fun noises. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough, Bronner. Fair enough, my brother. Wanna thank everyone who tuned in today and is tuned in right now. Ross Jackson. From Locked On Saints joined us to talk about Alvin Kamara and him go ahead and settling this civil case and striking that plea deal, which is good for Saints fans moving forward. Also, Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC, joined us and the legendary David Cutcliffe. Don't want to forget about David Cutcliffe. Tomorrow, it is a big-time show as we'll have two GOATs in the building with us here scheduled to join us on mobile's finest the goat on the track greatest on the track is morgan davis 13-time state champion along with ryan hollywood williams scheduled to join us on mobile's finest so you definitely want to catch up with both of them in the same place at the same time taking questions from michael bronner and i and don't don't want to miss WNSP now. Another WNSP podcast will be coming to you. And we thank you for joining us and checking in on another edition here of the final drive on WNSP 105.5.